appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. The Corinthians were, were quarreling over allegiance to different teachers. Some were saying, I'm of Paul, and others were saying, I'm of Apollos, and others were saying, I'm of Cephas, which is Peter. And those who, some even claimed to be super spiritual, and they're saying, I don't follow any man, I follow Christ. And the problem with all of this is that they were dividing themselves over it. And then Paul goes on to compare wisdom and foolishness and power and weakness. He says that the gospel looks like foolishness to unbelievers, but for Christians, it is the power of God. He says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then he continues the same line of thought in chapter 2, proclaiming the gospel. He says that the gospel is the only wisdom that he seeks to proclaim. He says in verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh, to be so guilty. To know that the only wisdom that we have is the secret and hidden wisdom of the God which is demonstrated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he, he returns to the issue of, of Paul or Apollos. These are divisions along the lines of, of two different leaders in the church. And so Paul says, says, you Corinthians, you think that you're mature, but you are showing that you're actually an infant in Christ. I can't go on to, the, to teach you the meat of God's word that I need to focus on milk. You're showing that you're still in the flesh. And you're proving it by the way you divide along the lines of different personalities. In chapter 4, apostles, Paul tells us how, Corinthi how the Corinthians ought to view the apostles. The apostles should be regarded as servants of Christ and as stewards of the, of the mysteries of God. As we saw, some of the Corinthians viewed themselves quite highly, and they were critical of Paul. But their ju judgment did not affect who Paul was, and it did not affect his ministry. Paul didn't even consider himself worthy to judge himself. He said, God is the judge. God is the judge. But the Corinthians were judging by fleshly measures. They viewed themselves with pride, but when they saw the abasement of Paul and the other apostles, they looked down on them. But instead, Paul admonished them to imitate him. And he warned them that, that he was coming. So did they want him to respond with gentleness or with a harsh rebuke on his arrival? Chapter 5, perversion and purity. One of the men of the church was, was having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. This sin was so grievous that even the licentious pagans of Corinth would be appalled. But these Corinthians were actually proud of their, their so-called open-mindedness and their acceptance of this individual. And so Paul warns them that sin spreads like yeast in dough. It is like cancer. It needs to be cut out. Paul tells them to discipline the man out of the church in hopes that he would repent. 
He tells them that they're not even to associate with wicked people who claim to be Christians. Chapter 6, prosecution and purity. There's two people in the church who are actually taking each other to court. Paul says, how can you sue each other before unbelievers when Christians have the authority to judge the world? He says, wasn't there anybody in the church who was able to judge trivial matters? And Paul went on to say that it's, it's a defeat even to, to, to have to deal with these sorts of issues. He says, why not suffer wrong? Why not allow yourself to be defrauded? Why not obey the command of Jesus to turn the other cheek? And then Paul goes on to address issues of purity. It seems that some in the church were actually going to prostitutes. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, you don't even own your own body. It was bought with the blood of Christ. So glorify God in your body. Chapter 7, principles for marriage. There are some in the church who were reacting to the immorality in the community and going to the other extreme, promoting an ascetic lifestyle to the point that, that they were saying that it was wrong even for a husband and a wife to have sexual relations. But Paul says that avoiding temptation is one of the very reasons for the physical part of marriage. He goes on to say that there's, a, whoops, there's advantages to, to singleness for those who can cope with it. He says that, that when you're single, you are free to serve God single-mindedly. He says if you're married, stay married unless you are, are married to an unbeliever and they leave you. He says live the life that God has called you to. Chapter 8, Privilege. Corinth was a city full of, of pagan sacrifices. If you were to go to the meat market, most of the meat that, that was on offer there was that which had been sacrificed to idols. And so the question came to Paul, should the Christian eat it or not? And Paul responds by saying that an idol is nothing. An idol is nothing. But there were some in the Corinthian church who had come out of paganism, so they felt guilty about eating that meat. So Paul uses this, this issue to deal with the far bigger issue of not being a stumbling block for others through your freedom. Chapter 9, payment for Paul. Paul now demonstrates how he had limited his freedom for the sake of the church. Clearly he had a right to receive payment from the Corinthians for his work. But, but he instead worked with his own hands. We saw this earlier. He worked as a tent maker to support himself so that he would not hinder the advancement of the gospel. He made himself a servant so that he could win more of them. This is the example, his example that he is calling the Corinthians to. Chapter 10, pagan worship. Some in the church had actually reverted to the worship of idols. And Paul tells them to flee from idolatry. And he uses Israel as an example. Many in Israel thought that they were serving God, but they were actually idolaters. Their fallen bodies in the wilderness serve as testimony against them. 
And then again, he goes back to the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. Again, he reminds them to consider the conscience of others in what they choose to eat. And he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Chapter 11, patriarchy and participation in communion. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, has some, some difficult interpretive issues. And it, it's caused some to get bogged down in debates over head coverings. But the issue of head coverings is not Paul's main focus. The issue is, is of authority and headship. In verses 17 and following, following Paul deals with the Corinthians' practice of the Lord's Supper. It, it seems that, that some of them were, were grabbing food before others could get there. And incredibly, others were actually getting drunk on the communion wine. The situation was so bad that God had struck down some of them with illness and others had even been killed by God. And the solution, he said, was to examine yourself so as not to drink judgment on yourself. In chapters 12 and 14, Paul deals with prophetic gifts. The Corinthians were, were practicing prophecy and tongues, which Paul commended, but the problem was they were doing it for self-aggrandizement. They were disregarding the very purpose for the gifts, for the building up of the church. Instead, they were using the gifts to build up their own pride. People were doing their own thing, and everything had fallen into confusion. In chapter 15, he deals with a theological issue, that of, of perishing. He says that, that some were actually teaching that there is no resurrection, that once you're dead, that's it. So Paul's response, he appeals to the resurrection of Jesus to, to prove that we will be resurrected with a glorified body. And then chapter 16, provision and plans for travel. Finally, Paul makes, Paul makes arrangements for a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they're to make the collection part of their weekly corporate worship. They're to consider others beyond their own walls. And then Paul tells them of his plans for travel. He's, he's going to come and see them, and he wants maybe to spend the winter with them. It seems that these issues that he's been dealing with are going to need some special attention. So there's a, a summary of 1 Corinthians. But you may have noticed, I hope you've noticed, that I skipped chapter 13. Now it's not that I'm superstitious like an elevator that, that skips the 13th floor, but calls it the 14th floor. Chapter 13 is probably the best known chapter in all of 1 Corinthians. It's the love chapter. And I left it to the end because I believe that it's the central chapter of the whole book. Love is the most excellent way that, that Paul refers to in, in chapter 12, verse 31. Love is the answer to the issues in the Corinthian church. And their problems point to the need for love. In verses 4 to 7, which I hope are very familiar to you, Paul says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The Corinthians don't primarily need a change of behavior. They need a change of heart. When hearts change, behavior will follow. Now, I've heard Christians say love is a verb. Now, it's true. Love is far more than, than, than just the lovey-dovey sentiments that you hear on the radio. Love is action. And we need to balance our, our culture's mis, misconception with that truth. Love is not a mere feeling. But we need, we need to be careful not to go too far in the other direction. Love is also not just an action either. How would your wife feel if you went and bought her flowers just because it is your duty? You said to her, here, I bought these for you because I'm supposed to. She really wouldn't be very happy with your gift. It has to come with a heart for love. Imagine that instead if you, if you, if you gave your wife flowers or, or did an act of service for her because it's, it's just the overflow of your heart of love for her. It's the same for the Corinthians. The church is in a mess because they don't love each other enough. Their church is in a mess because they don't love God enough. The great commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And the second command is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If the Corinthians loved God and each other, they would stop dividing over personalities. They would have a proper understanding of the gospel. They would have a proper view of the apostles themselves and each other. They would deal with sin in their midst out of concern for the holiness of God, out of concern for holiness of the church and for the salvation of the unrepentant sinner. They wouldn't even consider taking each other to court, but they would commit themselves to him who judges justly. They would flee from sexual immorality and everything else that God hates. They would have a, have a passion for the sanctity of marriage and seek to serve God in whatever state they were in, whether married or single. They would see their freedom as an opportunity to serve others, not to selfishly do what they wanted to do. They would follow Paul's example of selfless service. They would worship God alone, killing every idol, especially the ones in their hearts. They would seek biblical authority. They would participate joyfully in the Lord's Supper with, with total thanksgiving for what Christ had done for them. They would use their spiritual gifts as an opportunity to serve the church. They would live their lives in hope of the life that is to come. They would seek opportunities to provide for other Corinthians and for other Christians. Love will produce the unity and the holiness that the Corinthian church needs. That is the message to the Corinthians. This is Paul's message to the Corinthians. That God requires Unity and holiness that comes from a love for God and love for each other. Now listen, 
love will also produce the unity and the holiness that we need. We will do all of these things when we love God and we love each other as we should. Paul said to the Corinthians, you are the temple of God. You corporately are the body of Christ. Fellow saints, you are the body of Christ. And Christ died for you. He bought you with his blood so that you are free to love him and to love each other in the way that you are called to. Now, I am really excited that we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians together over the next several months because I believe that 1 Corinthians is the very thing that we need as a church. Now, I see you loving each other. Jane and I are, are experiencing that love as we, as we speak. But we can all grow in love, can't we? After all, the example, the standard for our love is Christ himself. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As we talked about when we went through John's Gospel, the command to love wasn't new. That goes all the way back to the beginning. But the newness was the as I have loved you part, that Christ loved the church to the death. Beloved, this is the standard for our love. This is the love that we are called to. We are to love just as Jesus loved us. We are to love because Jesus loved us. And none of us, None of us come anywhere close to Christ's perfect standard. But praise God, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers, Romans 8, 29. That we are being changed in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are being changed into the likeness of Christ. And one of the, the means of that sanctification is the book of 1 Corinthians. So how would you respond if you were to walk into a church like the one in Corinth? How do you respond to the problems in this church? If you love God and you love his church, you will respond the way Paul did. You will respond in love. And next week, Lord willing, will he see exactly what that love looks like? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
Lord, that we have the example of the Apostle Paul. Lord, and, and not just the example of, of his love for the Corinthians. But we have the example of his rebellion as well. Now, the Apostle Paul was, was not always the Apostle Paul. How he started out as Saul, persecutor of the church. And now as he was even in the midst of his sinful hatred of you and your church, Lord, you turned him around. You knocked him off his horse and set him on a new road. You set your love on the Apostle Paul and strengthened him to do what he could never do on his own. And Lord, we thank you that many of us here, though we were on a similar road as Paul, Lord, you knocked us off our high horse as well, and you turned us around to make us lovers of you and lovers of your church. So, Lord, we pray that you would perfect that in us. Lord, we pray that as we study 1 Corinthians together, Lord, that you will so fill us with love for you that it will overflow into love for each other and it will overflow into the glory that you deserve. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.